Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for October 2nd, 2008. I'd like to welcome back my regular panel, David McKee from the Las Vegas Advisor. Hey, David. Hello. Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. Hey, Chuck. Hey, how's it going? Good. Dave Schwartz from UNLV Center for Gaming Research. Good afternoon, Dave. Hey, great to be here. Last but not least, Jeff Simpson from the Las Vegas Sun and In Business Las Vegas. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Hunter. I'm Hunter, and let's get started. Uh, before we dive into the issues, a couple of quick little um, internet updates for uh, the Las Vegas community. First off, um, the Trippies, which are run by Chuck here. Um, the Trippies are underway for 2008. I'm going to let Chuck explain what the Trippies are and how people can get involved. Okay, right. well, the Trippies are, oh, sure thing, yeah. The Trippies are our annual uh, Real Poll Awards, which is uh, tailored specifically for uh, the tour experience, which we all know is quite different than uh, than the locals' experience. Uh, <clears throat> the, the Review Journal has been running their Best of Vegas uh a readers poll award thing for eighteen thousand years, and you know when I was looking at that way in the past, I was like, well, it's you know it's kind of interesting, but I don't think I really need to know, you know, where I can buy Tylenol at two o'clock in the morning, you know, or you know what the what the best florist in town is is probably not exactly applicable. So, you know, we just thought, hey, you know, why don't we just see what people think? You know, just basic polling. Uh, and through the process of it, uh, it's kind of become like a community builder. You know, we've involved some other sites and things like that. And you know, it's it's like it's like something that everybody, the the, the internet savvy people who are really in, into Las Vegas, you know, it's something that everybody kind of participates in. So, so it's it's, it's a pretty good sampling of you know the best and the worst and a couple other oddball categories that people get to nominate and then vote on. We just finished the uh, nomination portion where people select whatever it is that they want for a specific category, and the top five go into the uh, final voting, which is going to begin probably a little bit uh, before Halloween. We originally think an election day, but it might be a little earlier than that, and it's going to go till early December, and we're going to announce the winners in January. So come to, come to Vegas Tripping in a couple of weeks, and uh, you know we'll have the final voting for all the categories. Awesome. Well, um, you know, I've been uh, <clears throat> fortunate enough to uh, have been actually in the, in the uh, thing in the past, and it is a lot of fun from all sides. And rest assured that uh, we will be linking to it um, from everywhere when, uh, when the voting opens. So um, stay tuned for that. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, along with the trippies, I got an email this week um, indicating that the Las Vegas Advisor has opened its review system to the public. So no longer do you need to have a subscription to access the review system. Um, and as someone that has a service like this of its own, I know how useful these things can be. So as for tourists that have all these hundreds and thousands of choices, having uh, some of this information from, from regular folks is quite useful. So if you haven't already checked out the Las Vegas Advisors rating system, I'd suggest you go back and give it another look because now you can get in there even if you don't subscribe. But you know what? If you're a big Vegas junkie, you probably want to go consider subscribing because there's a lot of good stuff in there. So 
that's the Las Vegas Advisor update. And then a quick word from me on Vegas Mate, which is my interactive city guide for the iPhone. Um, the next version is in development, and while it's going to include a bunch of new things, the biggest thing is the ability for users to read, write, and share reviews and ratings right from the phone. So now when you're at the buffet and it runs out of the yellow stuff, you can post the damning review right then and there without having to wait to come <laughs> to the computer. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a fun feature. I'm looking forward to rolling it out there, and uh, that's a free update for everybody that's already a customer and um, should be out there pretty soon. So that's it for the sort of uh, Internet uh, update side of the show today. And now we're on to the news. So the first thing I wanted to get into was uh, Tropicana Resorts. And, you know, we've had some rumbling about the Atlantic City property um, being sold out of its conservatorship. And uh, Dave Schwartz, you, I think, pegged the uh, amount, um, if not outright on pretty close. Can you talk a little bit about where the process for the AC TROP is right now and the numbers that were that are being thrown around? Yeah, they've now got this bid in from Cordish that would be, I believe, $450 million in cash and $250 million in securities, uh, which is substantially less than $700 million in cash, which is what I just thought, based on what the Sands went for, based on what Trump um, Marina ultimately went for, I figured that would be about what, what I would pay for that casino. But... You know, I don't know. There's an article in the press, the Atlantic City Press today, saying that the former owners now believe it's worth $950 million in cash. Um, but who knows? But de there's definitely a lot of um, – still a long way to go. Tropicana Entertainment could sue to stop the sale, and other people could bid that number up. But with the economy being where it is, I don't see that happening. So are, the, are they – and someone that knows more about the process hopefully can answer this question – are are they required to take the highest bid, or are there other criteria they use to decide the winning bidder, assuming that it gets to that point? I would guess that it was some. There's some sort of public policy dimension to that there. So if somebody was gonna, if Columbia Sussex was gonna return from the grave, and give the highest bid and then fire half the workforce, they wouldn't. They wouldn't go with them. I would assume that whoever does get whoever does get it has to make some kind of guarantee about staffing levels and and whatnot. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and then when the when they were bidding it out the first time around, the uh although they did have a nine hundred and fifty million dollar offer on the table, the subsequent one the subsequent ones came in below that. So that would that would go to support Dave's argument that it's not a uh you know, not a high bid gets the trop situation. I think what they do, and 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 Dave, Dave or David, correct me if I'm wrong. They, uh, it seems to me, sort of like a bankruptcy bidding situation. The terminology is even somewhat similar, where they'll identify um, a best bid, which I think that that what they they've done that with Cordish and 700 million. But I think then um, it becomes what's known in a bankruptcy auction as a stocking horse bid, mm -hmm. um, and so they sort of set up a situation where that bidder would be compensated for the money they've put into the proposal. And so if somebody wants to go above that bid, they also have to pay some associated fees to the stocking horse bid if if you know the if the decision maker says, Oh, this is this bid is better 
and higher or just better, um, the the winning bidder would have to um, reimburse some um, some money to Cordish. So I think I don't think that just because they identify Cordish as the best bid now, I think there is still an opportunity for future bidders to come in higher. And then, did, I mean, does Columbia Sussex just have to accept whatever the outcome is? Is that just the way? That, I mean, other than as far as New Jersey is concerned, they're not even the owner anymore. I mean, they are the party that gets reimbursed for the money up to what the value, uh, up to what they spent for it. So if somebody came in with, you know, whatever, d- depending upon what their auditor's evaluation is of what the what the Tropicanic Atlantic City's part of the overall Aztar purchase was, that's what they can get at a max. Right now, they're probably well below that by a couple hundred million bucks. Um, so it's unlikely that they would get anything more. Um, it's it's very likely that they're going to end up with less. Um, that money then um, should go to pay off the creditors who subsidized the loans that went to buy Aztar. And then now, Dave, I think you mentioned the possibility of of them trying to sue their way back into the game. Is that realistic in any way? Does anybody have any input on that? I don't know. You know, definitely Scott Butera's kind of been positioning himself a little bit where that might be a possibility, but, you know, it's hard to say. I don't know how badly they want to stay with that, you know, in that market with that property, given the fact that the regulators and the unions have made it pretty clear that they don't want them there. And the problem for Butera is that the it, it, he may be running the property on behalf of um, the um, um, you know from as a separate entity from Columbia Sussex and and uh, Bill Young, but the fact remains that Bill Young owns um, the operating unit. He, he and and I just think that New Jersey regulators would be reluctant with. Uh, you know the way they felt about him when they first stripped him of the property and and refused to grant him a uh, a license i think that it would be highly surprising to me um if they were to if they were to make that call yeah as now as we swing back to the other side of tropicana um and their holdings in las vegas uh, any news from that side of the, from that side of the fence? Any recent information? I mean, these guys. I think they moved their headquarters there, right? I mean, they're they're basically focusing on. Seems like they're focusing on uh, doing what they can to try to sort of survive. Does that seem accurate? It does. They've they've doing a lot more promotionally, and uh, you know whether it's. Uh, I mean, you know, some kind of, you know, various stay-and-play incentives. They redid the website. Uh, You know, they cut prices on some of their entertainment offerings. And they've they've definitely caught a break in terms of Luxor greatly underestimated the amount of time it would take to load in that Titanic attraction. The best they can do for a timeline on that now is – you know, in 2009, which, which, as I wrote the other day, could mean 14 weeks, it could mean 14 months. Um, so they've got that income stream probably for far longer than they anticipated. So but, but all, yeah, I was just going to say those those kind of entertainment revenue streams compared to the revenue stream from hotel rooms and gambling 
are much less significant. And uh, that that hotel has abysmally weak food and beverage. Um, you know, me, actually, oh, no argument there. And and their entertainment is probably better than you would expect at a property like that. Their entertainment revenue stream, but in the scheme of things, in Las Vegas, they're getting crushed right now, like everybody else, on hotel room revenue and on and on. Uh, um, gambling revenue, and so not getting crushed, but they're they're losing um, compared to prior prior years. So it's they're really in a tough situation because they the staff had been cut to to the bone when times were better, although getting worse. Now that they're in a very bad situation, they really need to add staff. They they that's one thing is as open as they've been, they have declined to say how many people they're hiring back, how many people are the former workers there, um, and and you know it's it's tough to find anyone who works there, union or not, who would say that you know who wouldn't agree that the place was just so understaffed that customer service um, suffered and suffered horribly. Well, and if you look at those whole, you know, those little bar charts in the majestic research reports, where they go through and they they measure the number of people playing uh, at each casino, Tropicana has lost the largest uh, in terms of its its fair share of the, you know its slice of the the gambling population. It's it's lost more than than anybody else. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a big number to begin with, and now it's a lot smaller. So and. And compounding that, David, they, the majestic research focuses on bodies and seats, bodies and game yeah. positions. The compounding it is their marquees, their advertising is like, oh, we always have $5 blackjack available. So they're, they're filling what seats they do fill with lower rollers. Tropicana, it wasn't too long ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago, when Tropicana had more of a reputation as a, a very solid middle middle tier casino in terms of gambling action they have totally abandoned that market and uh so it, it's a tough it's a tough situation i think that the people they have operating it are skilled enough so that they're going to be able to keep it afloat but it's got to be a tough situation for them trying to ramp up staffing in the midst of this fiscal situation well the vibe over there is very much of you know it's it's kind of like going to the old folks home especially once they start pulling out slot machines and replacing them with massaging recliners. <laughs> well, I, you know, it does seem like the the chips are sort of stacked against them at this point. And um, you know, Butera has a good record with this kind of thing. We'll see how it we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, I'm sure that this won't be the last we hear from them as they hopefully can pull through because nobody. I mean, to see that some thing. advertising investment wouldn't be bad. I mean, during the uh, Columbia Sussex interregnum, there wasn't they weren't putting a lot of messages out there. Most of it was, you know, was what the uh, presenters of that Titanic and Bodies exhibit were. That was the the by far the largest advertising presence that Tropicana had in this market. Otherwise, they were almost invisible. And I'm not all, I'm not totally convinced in, you know, Butera's record. He he was at he was at Trump when they were emerging from bankruptcy, but it doesn't mean that I mean there was no you know, wholesale transformation, and you can't credit him. I think that some of the other folks who uh, um, were at the top of Trump, including Perry, James Perry, and some of the other sort of excellent people they've had there have done well. Um, I, I think that he went, he came to Las Vegas for Cosmopolitan, 
Um, it's hard to blame him for the uh, lead investor not having enough to finish the project, but I don't think you get much credit um, for that either. So, I mean, you know, I, I think that some of the people he's hired are very good. They've benefited from the tough times because there are people available um, to hire. But you know, to me, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's an unknown whether they're going to be able to uh, escape the situation they're in. Well, he and he made a stopover at uh, at Stephen Klubeck Development Outfit before he went to Cosmopolitan. But yeah, there's the the jury's very much out on on him as an operator. He's known mainly as a restructurer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tell numbers me. guy. Um, well, that oops, go go for it, Chuck. Yeah, can I just throw something into the mix yeah. here? I don't want to belabor the point, but uh, I'm curious what you guys think about uh, possible the possible future for the the Tropicana over long long mid term. Uh, bankruptcy will it just keep limping along. Is does it hold too much debt for an acquisition? Uh, that kind of thing. Well, you know, a couple of the potential. Or the the uh, illogical acquirers have have poo pooed it, uh, most notably Penn National, and I, you know, I think that the debt's got to be part of what's uh, what's scaring them off. And um, I don't see that they have any alternative but to limp along. I mean, redeveloping it looked like an iffy proposition at best. You know, a, a year and a half ago, and that's when when the markets were perceived to be good. Now it could be. You know, I mean, you got um, oh, I'm, uh, Jim Murin Jim Murin talking about there being no major redevelopment in Las Vegas, uh, and for, you know, for a decade once the current round of projects is completed. I mean, that's how pessimistic, uh, pessimistically, people are thinking. So, um, and you know. I don't. Uh, other than than maybe you know. What about Pinnacle? I mean, they were so interested in that site. Pinnacle has. Well, but they've got. People. Yeah, they've got so many projects backed up already. I'm. I think that's. You know, I, I think that's one of the uh, things that's that was working against them in Kansas. You know, you look at you, know, you look at all the things they've got queued up and the billions of dollars and and Lumiere Place is not getting a. Optimal return, you know. It's it's they overspent in terms of what they're making on that place. And anyway, yeah, I'll let Jeff pick that up. Well, I think, well, if I can if I can jump in here, for oh, sure. oh, yeah. Pinnacle can't even buy the adult bookstore on Pacific Avenue in yeah. the city. So, yeah. you know, if they can't pull the trigger in that acquisition, yeah, they're haggling <laughs> over a million six on a yeah. one point four billion dollar project. Yeah. What was it, is it, or is it, is it going to cost even more than that? But anyway, yeah, it's like a yeah, it's, it's a, you know it's all hung up over a million and a half dollars. I I think you'll see Pinnacle. Um, you know they have other things that they want to do in Louisiana. They certainly their Atlantic City prospect is something that they'd like to invest in. They're building a, a suburban St. Louis casino that is really what they're counting on in Missouri. Um, David's right, Lemire Place not performing. This is a company that is uh, you know that has you know, debt already and and a lot of these casino companies are finding that, you know, the tough markets make it tough for them to live up to their debt covenants, which we'll be talking about I'm sure later today. Um but so I would I would rule 
pinnacle out in the near or medium term. I think David's right the lo- the, about one of the likely prospects, the one likely prospect limping along, um, sort of evolving out of that middle tier of lower middle tier of properties into right at the bottom. Um, I think, you know, in that stratosphere, um, Riviera, Hooters um, category of hotels that has no ability to set prices. They're just at the bottom of the market. Um, um, and that, But the other alternative for them is probably a, uh, um, a liquidation um, where the company um, without Atlantic City um, and with a continuing negative economy is unable to meet its debt requirements and is forced to sail to sell um, and if that's the case um, you know I don't know it's it's certainly not a good market for it so you might find the creditors willing to allow it to you know sort of operate indefinitely but eventually sell sort of like the way Aladdin did um, because it had the misfortune of going out of business right after 9-11 uh, or, or of going into bankruptcy then so it just sort of hung on for a few years until the sale could take place. So I think that's another likely alternative for Tropicana, um, and we'll just have to see which one happens. But Butera just blew up a couple of asset sales, the one in Indiana, another one down in Mississippi. I mean, well, Indiana, Indiana, whether he wants to blow, whether he blows that up or not, Indiana is going to require an asset sale, as you know, because uh, Evansville, that 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 boat, that state requires. Um, owners who've lost their license to uh, relinquish their Indiana license, I believe. So he doesn't have that. I I don't think they're going to be able to stay in that market very long unless they're going to grant some kind of separate status clause to Bill Young and to the the Tropicana Casino Resorts. I would be skeptical about that. Oh, and they had a good buyer lined up, too. It's kind of a shame. Anyway, well, Jeff, you foreshadowed uh, a little bit of what we're going to be going into next, which is a little bit of a discussion about gaming stocks and, in particular, a move by uh, by Sheldon Adelson uh, this week. Um, once again, you know, the bad economic news has a, has a Las Vegas angle, and over the past two weeks, we've seen some big declines for gaming companies in the stock market. Um, actually, Chuck, I think you twittered about this uh, this week. Do you remember off the top of your head who got? Who got hit the worst with this with the percentage drop? Oh boy, the, uh, I'm lo- I'm looking at the finance chart for the last five days right now, and uh, it looks like uh, over the last five days, uh, Las Vegas Sands has lost about 25 percent, Win 14 percent, MGM 21 percent, Boyd 10 percent, Pinnacle 25. So. Yeah, I mean these guys are getting hit, and and that comes along with this story about Sheldon Adelson, who was who was forced to loan Las, Las Vegas Sands almost five hundred million dollars to maintain the company's debt ratio, um, part of their you know the agreement with their with their debt holders, and you know that's that seems like a sign that the cash flows at its four properties are not where they would like them to be. Um, you know, how big of a deal was was uh, Sheldon's move? I mean, I, I guess he talked about it in their last conference call, so it wasn't out of the blue. But the fact that it's necessary um, is definitely a signal. What do you guys think? I think it's just a reflection of the market. It's not a surprise. Analysts have been talking, foreshadowing this for months. The 
you know, this isn't really the big problem for for Venetian. I mean, Sheldon had enough to get them back in compliance there. The big problem is lining up the money they need to build in Macau. You know, they have Palazzo. Oh, they obviously had Sands. They have Venetian. They have um, the Four Seasons. But they have another few hotels they still have to build and open. And, uh, you know, they're counting on some lining up. They're counting on lining up additional credit. And, uh and the, whether they can do that or not is a question. Without that, um, you you know you have to wonder. Um, presuming they can line it up, that's fantastic. But um, you know at least it has to be in question whether they can. Um, I wouldn't bet against them, but I think that you know this is a company that has bet almost its entire you know, wealth, it keeps all of its money on the table. You know, the most successful gamblers usually pull money off of the table and aren't risking everything on every roll of the dice. But here, you know, a bad economy, um, if if we end up with, um, you know, tightened visa restrictions in, in, in Macau, slowing business there, which is not sure that it's going to happen, but it, it's possible. Um, and along with a, a, a very, very poor American economy, economy and terrible credit um, availability, all those things together put that company put it puts Sands at much more risk than a more conservative operator. Um, and there, are, you know, are a few of those. MGM smart enough to sell half of its assets to Dubai, um, I mean half of the city center project in Bellagio, um, Wynn um, took a lot of money off the table when he sold the uh, Macau sub-concession to uh, James Packer and to Lawrence Ho. So I think you know, there are some of the operators have not left all their money exposed. Um, it really helped Venetia, Sands to do it when times were great. Here's where you pay the price for that kind of uh, um, adventurous um, swashbuckling. Do we think of any other companies that um, may be more exposed than others? You just mentioned a couple that are on the more conservative side of things. Well, I, think Pin- I think Pinnacle. Yeah. I think Pinnacle made a big purchase to buy uh, to buy the Sands Atlantic City, and then you know the, so they they make this big purchase and can do nothing with it. Um, they they have committed to the state of Missouri to build a big downtown casino, which is opened, and now they're having to uh, you know keep coming up with the money to build their suburban casino, which is likely the true the the big potential money maker. They've been, uh, you know, hammered with bad weather on the Gulf Coast, even though they have a best-in-market casino in St. Charles. Um, so, you know, that's a company that's that's had some uh, had some tough times, but um, it's it's ably led, and uh, you know, I mean, it, it, but I would say that that's a company that certainly had a lot of money on the table. Well, and one we a company we don't talk about very much, but uh, made a few headlines lately is uh, Landry's, owner of the Golden Nugget, which, you know, there's there's a billion-dollar buyout whose viability was in question recently. and uh, But if the buyout doesn't go through, there's still some question whether they could, you know, whether the company could meet a margin call. 
So, and they already are paying two points more on their debt because they sort of made a boneheaded blunder before. Um, you know, that you're absolutely right. That is one. Um, one company that recently took a lot of its money off the table, at least for the time being, until they get a b better clarity, was Boyd. Um, I think we, if Boyd was still building Echelon right now, we would certainly include that company in uh, among those that um, have, you know, uh, the most at risk. Um, but I think that by backing off that, they've sort of given themselves some breathing room. Their remaining properties are, you know, solid. Um, and so I think that's a company that said, look, even if it embarrasses us a little to call a timeout on this project that we believe in, we just are unwilling to ri we're unwilling to risk the future of the entire company on this one wager. It seems like that was turned that that move turned out to be quite wise. I mean, it, looking at how things have progressed since they made that decision. I think it seems so. like that was quite quite the proper thing to do for them. It's funny, I was at the Palazzo last weekend, which I've decided I'm going to call um, Las Vegas Sand Station from now on because I feel like a giant strip version of a station casino. I figured that's why I'm not really in love with the place. Um, well, and I, actually, I think that's a bit of an insult to station because I can <laughs> think of at least three of their properties which are more imaginatively designed. Yeah, it's true. Mm. I mean, there's some elements of Palazzo that are pretty darn nice. The underground oh. parking garage. The parking the, garage is great. They have Room. Jersey Boys, their cafe. They have a Grand Lux Cafe, which is nice. They have a, the little club by the Jersey Boys entrance, which is pretty cool. Yes. They have, uh, they have you know, the Mario Batali, the B&B uh, Panavino. Carnavino, uh, yeah. They, that restaurant I mean, is excellent, actually. We had a, a really good meal there. No, there's, so there's, definitely so there's, some good, there's some good stuff there. They have a Barney's. Um, you know, the location, I think when you walk, um, take the pedestrian walkway from the uh, northwest corner of Palazzo over to Wynn, um, that's one of your nicer spots in town. Um, you know, I, I, so I would say I, I, I get the I get the dig, but um, and, and, and to be honest, you know, Red Rock at a billion dollars was more of a was when you look at the dollar cost per room, that ranked up there with, you know, the wind-type properties. I mean, it was exceptionally expensive. Um, and so to call something, you know, if you mean Red Rock, if you call, you know, that's no insult at all. Um, if, you're refer if you're comparing it with, you know, Boulder Station or Wild Wild West, maybe. I don't know if I'll go quite that far. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I did have a nice trip. I, uh, I I would definitely recommend Carnivino for anyone that's looking for some solid uh, solid meat meat meal. It was quite tasty. Um, but to move to move to the next uh, topic, um, Elvis has apparently left the building. Um, we have, I think, our first fail sino. I think Chuck, did you invent that word? Um, what does at, that mean? At, at, at David McKee's uh, request, right. to uh, come up with a vaporware-like term. I, get, I put, I rubbed a couple of nickels together and <laughs> thought, well, you know, fail Sino. As uh, you know, fail is a very popular meme right now with the, uh, you know, the 4chan folks and uh, the fail whale of Twitter. Whenever Twitter goes down, the fail whale shows up. Uh, so you know, you just take the fail and the Sino and you put them together, and it becomes the fail Sino, man, Elvis. Right. So the idea is that uh, you know this Elvis project, which I believe uh, was. Um, theoretically, to be built across the street from City Center, um, you know, south of uh, Planet Hollywood, um, is apparently toast. Um, Dave, you wrote about this on your blog, I think. Um, 
can you do you do you remember the details of this project and what it was supposed to be? Can you give us the the quick uh, overview? I just remember that it was a casino themed around Elvis, which <laughs> seems to be a pretty can't miss um, idea in many markets. But on the strip these days, probably I would think would have pretty long odds. And he, well, the budget was three point one billion, exclusive of whatever it was going to cost them to tie up all the land and get all the tenants out of there uh, because you know as as anybody's you know been been around that part of the strip knows there are a bunch of businesses going on that site right now and but what was very i mean yeah it seemed like the the branding you know it it seemed like as you said it seemed like it can't miss but the strange thing was they said their intended marketing position was wasn't just the the luxury market, but the upper stratum of the luxury market. Mm. So they were looking, you know, they were talking about going, you know, going really high, high end and going up against the city centers of the world. And uh, I, I, you know, I I don't, uh, I don't think that was a very promising, uh, you know, promising strategy. There aren't too many $200 pork sandwiches around. Uh, well, you know, you, you watch the, the gaming industry, especially Las Vegas, for long enough, and you, you see these projects that get, uh, quote-unquote, announced, and you just know that they're never going to see the light of day. I mean, mm-hmm. some casino, the Elvis, because this just, for me, this seemed like it was in the category of things that it wasn't the worth the paper the press release was printed on. I've never, I've never... I never wrote about the. I never wrote about Elvis, but um, I would certainly categorize it as one of those. I would. I ca- I'd categorize that as maybe slightly better than the most egregious examples of the casinos that are announced that will never happen. Um, for me, the most the most memorable for me, um, I think it was probably five or six years ago, the Moon Casino. <laughs> oh yeah, I thought of that one too. Yeah. The uh, the the ten billion dollar. Um, ten or I think ten billion dollar, ten thousand or twenty thousand room one, and then and then in North Las Vegas somebody proposed a two stadium multi arena, right? Um, twenty thousand room sports <laughs> casino, you know. Um, and I and after, in both cases I wrote columns immediately, uh, you know, debunking the idea that they would ever be built. Um, you know, the the Elvis thing it it did have like one of the ownership elements actually owned. Is is the entity that owns the rights to Elvis's songs and stuff, and so or his his rights. So to me, that gave it a smidge more respect, you know, credibility. But um, you know, it, it certainly was not one that you bet on happening, and um, it's no surprise that it's not. Um, it's it, it's a. Uh, you know, the funny thing is that right across the street, there supposedly is a Elvis-themed Cirque show that's going to be opening at City Center. So um, at least we won't be totally without the big guy. Well, this, well I, can, oh, yeah. I, I don't get why you don't do this in Tunica. You know, it seemed to be, be a much better fit there. Absolutely. That's a great call. Yeah, I thought it had a much much better chance of happening when when these guys were were involved with one of the with one of the one of the several rebuffed uh, would be owners of the Riviera. At least they, then they would have been piggybacking onto an existing facility. But yeah, I you know I mean it's when they when they put out when the story 
came out in March, you know, when they formally announced it, I, you know, basically said, you know, this is, I said I'd be, you know, you knock me over with a feather if this ever actually happens. I mean, Dave's idea there, the the Tudica thing, I mean, you set up some kind of a deal where people can actually go to Graceland, it's a fast trip, um, You build, or you build a replica Graceland, or you buy Graceland and move it brick by brick there. I mean, it's like, you know, you can build, you know, 20,000 Motel 6 type rooms, you know, um, and uh, I mean, no, absolutely, I think it's, a, I think that's the perfect place to do an Elvis casino. I, I don't think Las Vegas is, is the perfect spot. The other right, concern I, oh, can I oh, just one, one last go, thing? Go for it, Dave. Sure, the other thing I have about this is I wonder how well the Elvis brand is going to age over the next 20 or 30 years, which you would assume would be the lifetime of a casino built now. You know, certainly if you, know, you can see that a lot of, you know, if you'd have built a, uh, I don't even know, I can't think of somebody who was very popular back in the 30s, like a Paul Whiteman casino back in 1950, that would have been kind of cool because those people would have been around, but now they're not. So so I don't know. It just doesn't seem to, to have uh, legs. as you I mean, like, like, you know, Sinatra, probably 10, 20, 25 years, um, you know, older then Elvis has aged well. It sort of clicks with that Vegasy vibe, but there's plenty other acts from that same era or older. What you're right, big band stuff, just would not be enough to carry an entire resort in Las Vegas. And as those folks who are Elvis fans move from, you know, retirement into sedentary retirement, um, it's not it's not quite the uh, the group you want to be targeting. Yeah, and the Even- people. Oh, I was just going to say, even, you know, the the injection of the Beatles stuff at the Mirage, even that, honestly, feels like almost a little bit too much of that vibe. I can't imagine an entire resort done up with such a narrow focus. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm still I'm, – I'm still – can't can't imagine how this collision of Elvis Presley and Cirque du Soleil is going to pan out because hopefully just, better than uh, Chris Angel. Yeah, I just you know a hunk of hunk of burning love and uh, you know clowns prancing around in tutus. I, I don't see it, but you know I've I've, I've been wrong before. We'll see. I just can't wait uh, to see, uh, like, 25 years from now when we'll have the uh, the Nirvana Casino. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, there's one, there's another story that I didn't have on my list, but uh, I just saw it posted on your blog, Dave, and I thought it was interesting. It's this sports book story. And, Jeff, I don't know if you, maybe you read the article. I think Absolutely. it was done. Um, you know, I'm not a big sports better, but I think, you know, a couple of you guys may be from what I have heard. <laughs> um, you know, what do you guys think? Uh, it, I guess first, let's explain to the audience what the article was about. So is, can one of you guys give a quick summary about the article? Sure. He, uh, our, our, uh, sports, um, betting columnist, um, he does boxing, mixed martial arts, sports betting, and a few other things. Uh, Jeff Haney wrote a column about how he was, uh, refused, um, at a Boyd sports book. He doesn't identify it, I don't think. Um, he's trying to bet a couple of, uh, hundred dollar parlays, um, you know, and and from what I understand, there was a couple late moving lines, and you know how parlay cards um, are 
printed earlier in the week, so they're they're vulnerable to late line moves. And uh, he was refused the opportunity to bet. Um, now the the, line, the games are still on the board, which means they were taking money on those games. Um, but you know, uh, my my take it was um, it's. It's it's a little different, and, and I just don't know all the particulars. I don't know if you know Jeff was you know how many tickets he was playing. I, I presume they know who he is. Um, you know, they the casinos are within their rights. I don't think there were any rules violated, but ethically, I think most sports gamblers would say, if you're willing to take one side of a bet, you really should be obligated to take both sides. Um, uh, you know, casinos will. You know, they they regularly tell sports betters and uh, a lot of other types of advantage betters, whether it's card counters at blackjack, um, and 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 race betters even even with the odds against them, they'll say we don't want your money. Um, we don't want you to play this game. So, you know, um, I don't know enough about. Um, you know, I don't know how many people at that sports book were making the same kind of bets that um, Jeff was trying to make. Um, but if I were a sports book manager, and um, I think I would just take a game off the board um, rather than make individual calls. Um, I think they don't like to do that, but um, I think that you know the casino is probably smarter to take a game off the board than to pick and choose among gamblers and bet sizes and who they're betting on, you know, what what to take off or what to accept and what not to accept. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, this will get fleshed out a little more, but um, he, uh, you know, he's pretty, he was pretty hot. You could tell from his column how uh, irritated he was. Well, and it wasn't the first time that, that this had happened to him. Towards the very tail end of the NBA season, he had some, Bets refused at a Harris sports book. First, they said that well, they didn't like the lines he was betting into, and then they said, well, you know, we don't, you know, we don't like to take bets late in the NBA season. Uh, you know, like what, you know, what's that got to do with the, the price of tea in China? And I mean, the games are still being played, even if it's the last week of the season. And this was, and also he had already, he was a little annoyed with with Boyd because. They were advertising. Well, I mean, this is obviously marketing hyperbole, but they put out some ads. They are our parlay card odds are the best in the planet on the planet. Yeah, I don't and, think it had the word odds. I think they said our parlay cards are the best. Uh, yeah, and he 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 crunched the numbers and found that these were very, you know, that that. Uh, they were offering very mediocre propositions by you know, even by downtown standards with you know without even going vegas wide so you know he's got he's got kind of an accumulation of of gripes with the sports books and what made his column so remarkable was that he he said in essence, you know, I've had enough, and if this is the way sports books are going to operate, then we should just outlaw sports betting. Uh, right. Because he, he feels that they're basically being allowed to kind of make up the rules as they go along, and the regulators are complicit in this, and that it's all just a big, becoming a big farce. 
And that was the element um, I, I think that I my biggest problem there is, you know, sort of jumping to that conclusion. I think, first of all, he, he takes a big dig at Nevada po politicians and says, and regulators, and says, look, nobody's going to stand up for the right of the sports better here. Um, they're pathetic. And if maybe, you know, I, I don't think he really wants, I'm pretty certain he doesn't really want a ban on sports betting, but that's what he called for. Um, so, anyway. I mean, I as I said, I'm not really a sports better, but I, as those of you that are sports betting customers, from the customer perspective, I mean, does this sort of thing bother you? Um, is there how legitimate is this complaint? I think, guys, I have to go. I apologize. Oh, no problem. Thanks, Sorry Jeff. About that. Okay. I think it's annoying. I think it's annoying, but I think that if you look at the regulations regarding casinos, there's no way the casinos would accept any kind of change to the regulations that meant they had to take every single bet the people made because that would mean that they couldn't exclude advantage players. And that's just not the way the business works. You know, the, the way the business works is that if the casinos decide they don't like the color shirt you're wearing, they don't have to take your bet. And that's just the way they run it. Mm -hmm. Well, and you, I'm, I'm getting blurry on the details, but I do remember there was an incident where the sports book took a bet from Charles Barkley that that uh, um, the they later uh, on second thought they realized oh gee maybe we shouldn't have I don't know like I said I'm getting hazy on the details but the the unfortunate line employee who who took the bet was was fired was scapegoated for it and this became something of a of a minor scandal here in Vegas. Well, it was definitely an interesting article. I mean, you definitely could tell uh, from from the text that he was pretty steamed. Oh, very. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it made it an interesting read. Uh, you know, uh, it's an interesting topic. Uh, definitely can understand his point from uh, from just from reading his from reading his article. Uh, guys, I think that's going to do it for today. Um, I want to thank everybody for being here. And I'm going to go around the table, and you can tell people where they can find you. Um, Jeff had to drop off early, but uh, thanks to Jeff Simpson for being here. Uh, Dave Schwartz, where can people track you down? People can find me at diescast.com. Excellent. Chuck Monster, how about you? Vegastripping.com. And David McKee. LasVegasAdvisor.com. Great. I am at ratevegas.com. Thanks to everybody, and have a fantastic weekend.